that's the thing with vestibular issues is that it's something that the person feels, but others around them can't see. And so I think that with that invisible nature of uh, vestibular issues can be very disorienting and very discouraging sometimes, you know, maybe even your own family and friends don't understand it on top of, you know, certain specialists or other therapists may not understand it. I just want everyone to know that it isn't all in your head and that there are many other individuals going through what you're going through and that there are treatments out there to help you with those issues. There is always hope and you are not alone. Hi, I'm Christabel Braden and this is my brain injury podcast, Hope Survives. Here, we share information, education, and support for the brain injury community. This is an uplifting podcast to bring hope to your darkest days. As a survivor of traumatic brain injury and multiple concussions, I know what it's like to struggle to find hope. I don't want anyone to feel as alone as I did. And that's why I started my online community called Hope After Head Injury. This podcast is an extension of that, and I'd love to invite you to join along as we explore the realities of life with brain injury with messages of encouragement, interviews with doctors and professionals, and survivor stories. No matter where you're at on your journey, there is always hope. With a little hope, you can make it through today. With a little faith, someday you'll get through the pain. Just a little love is enough to light the way through your darkest night. Hope survives. Hope survives. Hope survives. Welcome back, Hope Survives family. So glad you're here today. This episode is one that I am quite excited about because we are talking all about the vestibular system, which sounds daunting and can be confusing if you're just entering the world of brain injury or if you haven't heard much about it. But never fear, today we have an expert, Sonia Vovan, PT, to talk all about vestibular rehab, explain what even is the vestibular system, and talk about ways to improve and maintain recovery. After a brain injury, the vestibular system can be impacted and can cause symptoms such as feeling off balance, dizziness, vertigo, issues with vision, and and more. So we're going to be talking all things vestibular recovery. Another interesting part of this conversation is when we talk about the difference between chronic vestibular issues versus acute vestibular issues. Meaning if you've had a brain injury for many years, your vestibular issues may present differently than somebody who just got their first concussion. 
So we're going to talk about that. And she's going to give advice on practical things we can do to help maintain our vestibular recovery over time. It's a great episode. I learned a lot from this conversation. I tried to ask a lot of questions for all of you. So I hope that you learn a lot today. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Sonia before we get started. She is a registered physiotherapist and certified vestibular therapist working in Toronto, Canada with individuals with vestibular issues and concussions. She received her advanced training in vestibular rehabilitation through Duke University School of Medicine, accredited by the American Physical Therapy Association. Sonia is an advocate for individuals suffering from brain injuries and is a board member on the Brain Injury Association of York Region, based in Ontario, Canada. She is wonderful. She is so kind. And I know you're going to enjoy and learn a lot from this episode. I also want to remind you that you can always pause it and come back later. I have notes with minute markers as to what we talk about when in the podcast. Those can be found in the show notes on the podcast feed or on our website, hopeafterheadinjury.com, on the episode page. So make sure to utilize those notes so you can follow along with the episode. All right, let's go ahead and get started. And I'm excited for us to learn together today. Hope After Head Injury is a global online community for brain injury survivors, caregivers, families, advocates, anyone who'd want to be part of the brain injury community. I'd like to invite you to join our Facebook support group. You can search Hope After Head Injury support group on there. We also have a page and an Instagram. And every Tuesday at 7 p.m., on the Hope After Hendry Facebook page, there's a live chat. So I've been doing this live video for over five years on the Hope After Head Injury Facebook page. So you can join us every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, and that has become just such a beautiful community. We also have a monthly Zoom support meeting. You can join that by visiting hopeafterheadinjury.com slash community. And the link for that is in the description of the podcast. We meet once a month, encourage each other on our journeys. You can either have your camera on or off, however you're comfortable. You can just listen or you can come and share some of your story and encouragement with others. It's a great time to know that we are in this together and we are stronger together as a brain injury community. I also run a group called Brain Injury Bible Study. There's also a podcast for that. If you search Brain Injury Bible Study, that should come up. And we have Zoom meetings occasionally as well and a Facebook group. You can find that information if it's something you'd be interested in. It's basically we combine faith and brain injury recovery together in that group. Now, finally, I just want to share a reminder that this podcast is for education and informational purposes only, and it's not intended for medical advice. If you need specific medical advice, please consult your physician. Let's get started in today's interview. Today, I am so excited to welcome Sonia Vovan to Hope Survives Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for coming on. So we originally connected on Instagram. Sonia has an amazing page about vestibular recovery recovery called All In Your Head PT. And I started to see her posts on the Hope After Head Injury account. And she does such an amazing job at breaking down vestibular things and post-concussive things. She does such a great job presenting information in a way that is cute and easy to understand. And there was one post that I saw that you explained the difference between adaptation and habituation in vestibular rehab. That was the first time I had ever heard my experience explained out in a post like that. And after I saw that one, I said, I had to get her on the podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. And I cannot wait for all of the nuggets of wisdom I know you're going to share with our audience today. Oh, I'm looking forward to this conversation for sure. And I'm so glad to hear when others can see my posts being easily digestible information like that, because that's exactly the goal of of having my um, social media page. So let's just introduce some of who you are. I know you are a registered physiotherapist, which isn't that the Canadian version of PT, physical therapy? Exactly. Yep. And then certified vestibular therapist, and you work in Toronto, Canada. And do you want to share a little bit more about who you are and why you're passionate about vestibular and concussion rehab? For sure. Yeah. So I'm a registered physiotherapist and same thing as physical therapist in the United States. And my certification is um, with the advanced vestibular rehab certification through Duke University School of Medicine. And I know Emory University also provides this same type of accreditation. And basically uh, with that uh, certification, I've been able to really expand my capacity um, to provide thorough vestibular assessments and rehabilitation techniques. Um, And so that's kind of what happened is that my passion for working with individuals with concussions and vestibular issues really expanded. So I wanted to learn more about it. I was seeing my patients, they were telling me how they were seeing five, six, seven specialists before getting the right type of treatment. And they all said the same thing. They were all saying, you know, oh, it's, you know, no one understands how I'm feeling. You know, no one can see it. Um, I feel like I'm the only one can, who can feel it and really be able to describe what I'm going through. And I kept wanting to tell them, like, you're not the only one out there, right? You know, like my entire caseload is patients um, experiencing these issues. And um, so because of that, I wanted to learn more about it and be able to provide the right type of treatment and education to my patients so that I can help advocate for them um, when they go for their medical appointments and I can empower them with the right information um, that they can use so that when they go to these specialist appointments or other appointments, they know exactly how they can um, explain their symptoms and um, be able to you know, get the right treatment from that. I love that. I love how you talked about helping your patients learn how to advocate for themselves. Because one of the challenges of having a brain injury, it affects your cognition. So it's hard to describe symptoms that you're going through, period, point blank, 
for anyone, it can be hard to describe. You know, I'll have doctors ask me, like, does it feel achy or stabby or does it feel this or that? And you're like, how do I describe a headache? You know, it's hard to put into words. And then when it's things that are more subtle and ambiguous, like vision, visual tracking issues or balance or things that fluctuate throughout the day, depending on your fatigue or your energy levels. It's so hard to put into words. And I love that you are empowering your patients, but also everyone on social media to have a better way to explain how they are feeling. So I want to commend you for that and thank you for what you are doing in the brain injury community. Thank you so much. That's exact. Honestly, that is the initial intention and motivation for my social media page. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful to hear that. I love that. You're doing a great job with it. So today we are going to be talking about ways to improve vestibular recovery as you are a vestibular expert. And I'm here ready to soak in all the knowledge and ask all the questions for our listeners today. So can we just start with the basics? What is the vestibular system? It could be something people haven't really heard of, or maybe they've sort of heard of it. I know in my experience, it was, I think, eight or nine years after my TBI, maybe a little bit longer than that. My, my first brain injury was 2007. So there was a a lot of there's a lot more information out there now but i hadn't even heard of the vestibular system and i had i had all the issues but it took years to even get some sort of diagnosis so let's just talk about what the vestibular system is and let our listeners learn everything they can for sure yeah you're totally right i think the vestibular system only now is really coming out of its shell and people are truly understanding now the significance of it. Um, but the vestibular system, you know, a lot of people call it the inner ear as well. And that's because it's located deep in the ear within the bones on the side of your skull. So the temporal bones, and it's about the size of a quarter. So it's quite small. And because of the location of it, it certainly can be affected by a concussion. Um, and so what, what's, what entails of the vestibular system? So there is the peripheral component. So that's the part on the outside. And the peripheral component consists of um, semicircular canals. And basically, they detect rotational movement. So whether your head's you know, uh, tilting back, tilting forward, that kind of thing. And then they also have utricles and saccules, which are responsible for linear uh, acceleration, linear movement. So that's like if you were in a car and you were driving forward and back, you're not moving, but those or that part of the vestibular system detects that motion. Or like, for example, when you're going up and down the elevator, again, you're not moving, but they sense that you are moving through space. And then the vestibular system also consists of the cochlea. So that's the hearing organ. And then the nerve that goes from the vestibular system to the brain. So then that's the central vestibular system now, when, once it enters the brain. And then it has many connections um, through the brain stem to the brain, as well as to the cerebellum to fine tune movements. So all together, that is the vestibular system uh, divided up into the peripheral component and then the central component. And then what does it do? So basically, because of what type of signals it can sense, what type of information it can sense, the main um, functions of the vestibular system are related to 
gaze stability. So for example, being able to keep a clear image while moving your head postural stability and balance. So, you know, when you're standing still, it's still sensing whether or not you're swaying or when you're moving through space and spatial orientation. So it's like being able to orient yourself to your environment and knowing how to navigate through it safely and properly. So you're not walking into walls or if you're going up a ramp, you're, it senses that you're, you're tilting upwards as you're going up a ramp. And then another major function that's pretty important is related to um, uh, the blood flow distribution to the brain. So because the vestibular system senses when you're, you know, for example, lying down or sitting up and standing up, it has to make adjustments to your blood pressure and heart rate so that you don't feel, you know, so lightheaded when you sit up or lightheaded when you stand up. So that's actually quite uh, an important function of the vestibular system that I think a lot of people don't think about. Thank you for explaining all of that. So what I'm hearing is the vestibular system is very important, <laughs> super yes. important to how your body functions day in and day out. So when somebody has a concussion or a brain injury, how does that, how can that potentially affect the vestibular system? For sure. So I think dizziness is probably like the most common symptom that people think about when they think about their vestibular system being um, affected. And if you think about it, I think most people who have a concussion would say that dizziness is quite a common symptom. And I think it's really only, um, you know, second common to headaches. I think headaches are probably the most common and then dizziness is right up there. And again, if you think about the trauma to the head with a concussion, you know, whether it's direct or indirect, like a whiplash injury, because of the location of the vestibular system right there and the size of it, um, it's, it's almost certain that there's going to be some sort of impact to the vestibular system. Um, you know, even with the indirect forces of a whiplash injury, there could be, you know, shearing or stretching of the nerves. Um, and those nerves that send signals about vestibular information can be impacted. So even if the vestibular system itself is not injured, those pathways can be. And so you can think about how I was mentioning, you know, the peripheral component of the vestibular system and then the central component of the brain, you know, there could be a, a mismatch of, um, of injury to the vestibular system, different parts of the vestibular system. And then on top of all that, with the whiplash injury, then the neck becomes involved. And then we know that the neck and the vestibular system and the eyes, they really have to communicate well with each other in order to feel stable. So if any one of them is off, then that's when you experience symptoms like dizziness or being off balance. So there are, like you said earlier, a lot of different components to the vestibular system. So a concussion could affect any one of them. And so I'm just asking, so they kind of talk together. So if part of it is off, then it can kind of make more of it be off. Is that right or, or wrong? Or? So then, yeah. So then you would almost say like, let's say, let's say there's a pathway, you know, like the, a pathway, a train pathway from A to B. If there's anything that happens along the way, whether there's, you know, the train goes off the rails or there's something on the railroad track, 
then the train doesn't get to go from station A to station B. So even if station A is intact, station B is intact, anything along the way can have an impact on whether the train gets from A to B. So you can think of that um, as the vestibular system. So from the sensory organ um, in the inner ear where it senses the um, information about balance and where you are in space, that information needs to get to the brain and be processed to respond to what it is that you're doing. So if there is something along the, that path that gets impacted, then you can experience um, a variety of symptoms that are related to the vestibular system. So related to that, if somebody's had a concussion or a brain injury or somebody's listening and they're a caregiver and they're thinking, oh, my my survivor, my loved one is walking into walls and struggling with their balance or they feel dizzy. How does somebody know if they have vestibular system, vestibular symptoms and what are some of like the common symptoms that could show vestibular dysfunction? Of course. Yeah. So I would definitely say that dizziness is probably the one symptom that is the most closely associated with the vestibular system. But unfortunately, it's such a vague term. It can describe such a variety of sensations. So as a clinician, I usually ask my patients, you know, can you describe how you're feeling using any word but dizziness? And common sensations can be lightheadedness, um, feeling faint, rocking, swaying. Um, maybe I'll even ask them, like, are you swaying or leaning more to one side than another? Because that could indicate whether there's an imbalance of the vestibular system. So I think dizziness is certainly a very common symptom that is uh, involved with the vestibular system. And then another very important symptom is vertigo. And I would say vertigo is probably more important because with vertigo, you can diagnose, um, you can diagnose someone with, a, with specific vestibular issues if they are truly experiencing vertigo. And how to distinguish vertigo from dizziness is that vertigo is the perception that either you or the environment around you is moving. So there is some sort of movement that's happening. Whereas dizziness is much more vague and much more of um, just a general internal unsteadiness. So um, using those two symptoms, I would say that that's a good start to determine whether or not someone has a vestibular dysfunction. And then of course, being off balance, right? Because balance is kind of your body's way of integrating all of your sensory information so to make sure that you're stable and you're able to move through your environment safely. But if you're experiencing issues with stumbling and, and you know, clumsiness, or you can't walk straight, or you have to look down when you're walking because um, you're afraid of falling, then I think those are good indicators. But of course, you know, with dizziness and vertigo and even balance issues, there's so many other causes to um, those types of symptoms. But I think with those being a good starting point, then when you describe that to your clinician, they'll be able to kind of probe further and ask you the right questions to determine if it's truly from the vestibular system or not. Thank you for explaining that. For years, I didn't know I didn't know I had vestibular problems because they would ask if I felt dizzy. And in my mind, dizzy meant spinning. 
like when I was a kid and you would go to an amusement park and you or you'd spin around in an office chair. And so I always associated Dizzy with spinning. However, I was constantly lightheaded and feeling off and I and feeling like I was swaying and constantly just feeling I would always just say I'm, I'm lightheaded. And I didn't I didn't associate that with the term dizziness because for me, I just thought dizziness meant spinning. And I never, I never experienced spinning. I experienced this general sense of constantly being off and sort of rocking and constantly walking into things. And so, Sonia, I think that advice to describe how you're feeling to go a little bit deeper than just the general terms of dizziness or vertigo or balance is really helpful information for our listeners to know that what you're experiencing is valid. And even if you can't put it into words all the time, trying to go throughout your day and think about how am I feeling right now? Or I would always get bruises all over me from walking into stuff and realizing, hmm, is this happening a lot? Am I constantly walking into door frames and walls in the house that I live in? If that's the case, (laughs) there's probably something going on. So thank you for explaining that. So you talked about dizziness, vertigo, balance. Can we talk a bit about vision? Because I know that the vision, vision and vestibular issues can be very, very inter closely related. Yep. I totally, totally agree. And I actually recently created a post about this because a common issue that people with vestibular issues will have is that they'll describe that their vision is blurred, you know, or, you know, their vision is bouncing, moving, floating. Um, It just doesn't feel stable. And so, usually the first thing that my patients will do is actually go to their eye doctor, go to an optometrist and think like, oh, are my eyes going bad? Do I need to get glasses? And so they go through um, the eye exam with that letter chart where they're sitting there and they're able to read all the letters. And they're like, wait a second, I don't have a vision issue per se. I can see clearly, but the difference between vision or actually the Yeah, the difference between visual and vestibular issues is that with vestibular issues, the vision issues happen with head movement. So as part of my testing, um, I also use a letter chart to see whether or not my patients can see those letters clearly, but then I add head movement as well to see whether or not they're able to see those letters at the same capacity. And usually what I find is that they're not able to, and that's the difference. So yes, you want to be able to have, you know, a properly functioning visual system so that, you know, um, your eyes can see your world clearly and that's considered visual acuity, but you want that to integrate well with the vestibular system so that when you're moving your head, your visual world still remains clear and well and and focused. That's so helpful. So can I ask a a question? What about when like vestibular type symptoms are triggered by visual movement. So if, cause you were talking about how head movement can trigger it, but are there times that I, that visual movement can trigger vestibular systems? Cause I find I have a really hard time on escalators and things like that. I find that I start to get nauseous and I start to feel my balance go off. Even if I'm standing still, if my vision is moving. 
So that's a very, very common issue. And what I find is that if someone has had vestibular issues for a while, then your brain has to compensate in some way, right? It has to compensate in order for you to be able to function properly in your everyday life. So what it'll, what it'll do is it'll ramp up um, the capacity of your other sensory system so that you still feel as stable as can be. And usually that sensory system that gets overworked is the vision visual system. So what that means is that because your vestibular system is kind of dampened, you know, it's not functioning as well, perhaps your visual, your visual system will have to work harder to compensate for that. So when you are in situations where you have to put an increased demand on your vision, you know, maybe it's a visually busy environment, like a grocery store where there's a lot of patterns and lights, or for example, escalators because of the movement of the stairs or maybe a hallway with a really busy patterned carpet floor or maybe you're watching a hockey game where there's a lot of movement even though there's no head movement because you already use your vision so much on a day-to-day -day basis to keep you stable when you have to exert more effort on top of that to use your vision, then you can have um, symptoms. So that's a very common issue that happens with my um, more chronic vestibular patients. Thank you for explaining that. So can we just quickly, I want to hear the difference between like the, like what you just said, chronic vestibular patients versus somebody who maybe just recently had a concussion, you just mentioned that those issues will happen more with somebody chronically, which makes sense in my case, because I've had my brain injury over 10 years. Yeah, definitely. So at the beginning, when let's say someone has an acute vestibular issue, um, there is that asymmetry, perhaps, you know, perhaps the injury happened on one side. And so the other side has to compensate for that loss. And so through vestibular therapy, you can compensate for that loss and adapt to it. And then there are exercises you can do for that to achieve um, that stability again. But over time, if you haven't perhaps achieved that adaptation and achieved that, um, you know, stability in the vestibular system, then something else has got to give. And so then um, over months and years, your brain will have to learn to find ways to get around that vestibular loss. And that could be through perhaps you know, using your vision. So a lot of times I'll, I'll hear my patients say that they have more difficulties with their balance in the dark or in dimly lit environments because then they can't use their eyes to fixate their environment to remain stable or they have to use their body more for balance. So that's um, called proprioception, using the sensation in your body. And so for example, my patients will describe, you know, having to grab onto the wall and the furniture so they could have a better sense of where they are in space, or perhaps they feel more comforted if they have some weight on their bodies. So they feel more grounded if they're using a weighted blanket or um, something of, of that sort. So that's what I find is that if I'm working with a patient who's had their vestibular issues for many months and years, they've, they've kind of automatically, you know, intuitively learned how to get around their vestibular issues, which is quite amazing that our brains can do that for us, but it's just not a good long-term solution. So that's where I'll come in with the vestibular therapy to help, you know, rebalance the information that's coming from all the sensory systems. 
Thank you so much for explaining that. So I love my weighted blanket and I had no idea until this moment that it was probably related to my vestibular system. So that's so interesting. Thank you for explaining that. And so I want to, before we move into talking about more, some more specific ways in vestibular rehab and vestibular recovery, I did want to touch on dysautonomia. You mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that the vestibular system has something to do with your heart rate and blood pressure, especially laying down to standing up. And so do you want to talk a little bit about dysautonomia and POTS and how that is related to the vestibular system and concussion recovery? Definitely. So I find that many of my patients with vestibular issues, they have some degree of postural orthostatic cardia syndrome. Um, so what that means is that they have a dysregulation um, in their heart rate response with position changes. So for example, if they're lying down, uh, let's say they have a resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute. Um, when you first stand up, it's normal for your heart rate to slightly increase because it has to adjust to the position change against gravity. And it has to you know, pump the blood throughout the body to distribute blood flow to the brain, but it should fairly, you know, quickly, relatively quickly come back down to um, your resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute. But with POTS, what happens is that then the patient, the individual will stand up and their heart rate will increase to 30, 40 beats per minute above their resting heart rate and often stay there even standing for two, three minutes. It doesn't actually recalibrate, readjust itself. And so what I've learned, and this is actually even an area that I am recently kind of digging deeper into, is that there's a lot of connections in the brainstem related to the vestibular system and then to blood pressure and heart rate response. And so with all of those connections coming to the brainstem, they have to be able to communicate clearly and communicate properly to each other to be able to provide an immediate and appropriate response. But if there's any dysfunction in those pathways to the brainstem, then things can go haywire, right? You know, I, I kind of think of the brainstem as like a central station where all the trains have to come in, they have their own schedule, their own times. But if one of them is off, then it just changes everything. So then um, what I find is that with vestibular therapy, once I improve um, the response to the vestibular system, then the heart rate response improves with those position changes. So it's quite interesting how they have that um, relationship. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. So dysautonomia, autonomic dysfunction, is definitely something that can happen after concussion. And it's important to have that checked because you may not know that you have you have it. And I know for me, I don't have what they would call POTS because I don't faint or pass out. But I had gotten the tilt table test and the halter monitor test and a couple other EKG through the cardiologist. And he was astute enough to notice that I had dysregulation. And even though it wasn't to the extreme level that I had autonomic dysfunction enough that my symptoms and what was going on, and there was enough of a disparity between my heart rate on the tilt table that I did have some sort of dysautonomia. And so there are different forms and different types of it. And so 
finding out these things that Sonia's explaining, finding out about the vestibular system and about dysautonomia and autonomic dysfunction has been so empowering in my recovery because I realized like, oh, I'm not just so too super out of shape. I would, I kept exercising thinking like, you know, my heart just kept pumping so much. And when I'd go upstairs, I kept feeling like, you know, I was just so out of it. And I kept being like, man, I am so out of shape. And I felt such shame of like, no matter, like I had such a hard time exercising. And then when I would, I just felt like, you know, and realizing, no, that's actually my autonomic system. It doesn't mean that that's not normal for everyone's heart to do that. And it made me feel better because I was like, You're wow, so right. I know why. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That's such a Again, that's such a common thing that I hear from my patients. And then on top of that, another thing too is with the heart racing, they feel like it's anxiety, right? So they feel like, oh, am I anxious? You know, I feel heart palpitations, but I don't feel anxious technically, but my body feels anxious. So it's, uh, it's, it's all very interesting how it's connected that way. Yeah. And I love that point too. Cause like you start to think maybe it's psychological, like, am I having a panic attack? Am I anxious? I'm not stressed, but I feel like my body's on edge. So it it's so good to understand these things and everyone's going to be different. However, the more information that you can learn about brain injury, the more that you can be empowered to think and connect to the right providers, such as Sonia, somebody who specializes in the vestibular system. So speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about vestibular therapy. How is vestibular therapy different than your typical physical therapy? Uh, yeah, so vestibular rehab, I would say then, is targeting specifically those symptoms of dizziness and vertigo and balance issues that are related to the vestibular system. So the goal of vestibular rehab is to, you know, restore the stability. So being able to see clearly while your head is moving, to be able to maintain your balance in a variety of conditions, you know, whether you're standing still or whether you're moving, and then to be able to challenge your vestibular system and um, over time to different types of situations that specifically you encounter in your everyday life. So I would say vestibular rehab is an extension of typical physical therapy because I still have to conduct my typical physical therapy assessment. You know, for example, I still have to assess, you know, any pain that they have, their sense, their sensation, their muscle strength, um, those types of things. But then on top of that, I conduct my vestibular testing to see whether or not um, their symptoms could be related to the vestibular system. So then that's where the distinction is with vestibular therapy. And then there are different ways you can approach dizziness and vertigo, right? So for example, um, BPPV, so benign paroxysmal positional vertigo is a common cause of vertigo. And there are certain maneuvers you can do to treat that. Um, if it's related to gait stability, then there are exercises for that, balance exercises. Um, and like we mentioned before, you know, working on the visual system and ocular motor control is important because of the close connections with the vestibular system. And, and overall, you just have to make sure that with vestibular therapy, you're integrating everything. So, um, you know, the vestibular system doesn't work in isolation. It needs information from the rest of your body to be able to 
to allow you to respond properly to what you're doing. So ultimately, you have to make sure that vestibular therapy is a, a, a integrated component of your whole rehab program. I love that. So it's not isolated. You can't like you mentioned at the beginning, the vestibular system is deeply connected. And I loved that metaphor of a train, you know, one side could be connected to the other side, but if anything's kind of off in the middle, it could cause problems. And so you have to take kind of a holistic approach to looking at everything when it comes to therapy and rehab. So I love, I love how you explain that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to really work on the vestibular system and to improve, you know, its ability to sense information, but then let's say, what if you still have a stiff neck, right? Um, so then that's where, you know, maybe doing cervical treatment for the neck is just as important to make sure that um, all of the sensory information that's going to the brain is you know, congruent and ascending accurate and similar information. So you can't look at, you know, one piece of the puzzle. You have to look at it as a whole. I love that. So the, the looking at the whole picture at the full picture is what's going to help improve your vestibular recovery. What are some other ways to improve vestibular recovery? So I think what's most important because the vestibular system is so closely associated with head movements and body movements, the most important thing is just to remain active, right? And it doesn't have to be, you know, like a marathon. You don't have to be running and jogging. And a lot of people with vestibular issues do find that triggering. It's just about finding exercises that allow you to be able to move safely and confidently so that you're constantly stimulating the vestibular system. So whether it's, you know, maybe using a stationary bike because there's lead and less of a head bobbing motion, but you still get the cardiovascular effects, or maybe you prefer walking outside versus on a treadmill because the treadmill just feels maybe constraining and claustrophobic. Whereas when you're outside, there's more space and it's open. Um, but just to make sure to keep your head and your body moving throughout the day and to not let yourself um, you know, be on bed rest for too long. Otherwise that can de- decondition your vestibular system. And then on top of that, you know, making sure that you're eating well, sleeping well, and really reduce like managing your stress because um, having stress and anxiety can perpetuate a lot of the vestibular issues, right? Because it's kind of this vicious cycle where, um, you know, you're dizzy or you have vertigo. So then it causes stress. But then when you have stress, it worsens your dizziness and vertigo. So if you're able to cut that cycle somewhere, and that's with either vestibular therapy targeting the dizziness or with management of your stress, then you won't have this vicious cycle that's going to constantly have get like get you into the spiral. And so I often, from the very beginning, tell my patients, you know, if you find that stress is a major um, trigger for your vestibular system uh, symptoms, then, you know, let's work together and find the best way for you to manage it. You know, maybe meditation doesn't work for everyone and that's fine. Maybe it's, you know, breathing exercises, listening to music, spending time with your friends or family or art therapy, whatever it is that can help reduce that fight or flight stress response in your body will also help 
um, the dizziness uh, symptoms. So I think that that's such a crucial, crucial um, point that has to be brought up during someone's vestibular recovery. Wow, that is so, so insightful. And, you know, I honestly feel like the first thing to go when you get stressed out are the things that help you the most. So if you're busy and you're tired and you wake up with headaches and you're having all these symptoms, you think, at least for me, I think, you know, why have to prioritize what I have to do, whether it's cleaning or cooking or showering or working or school or whatever it is that you let the things that bring you joy and reduce your stress, like creative hobbies and spending time with friends or family, things that are really good for your mental health and therefore also good for your physical health. Those are the first things that seem to go. And so I love, love hearing you say that that's important for vestibular rehab too. Exactly. I think, you know, I think there is that disconnect between, you know, how can my mental health be affecting my physical symptoms, but there is that close connection. I mean, we all know what the mind body connection is, right? So if you, you know, again, if you think about it, if you're constantly, your brain is constantly working so hard to keep you stable because you're feeling dizzy and you're feeling the sensation of imbalance. If you're stressed on top of that, that's just more work for your brain. That's just less resources for the brain to deal with the dizziness. So it is so crucial to keep those um, self-care strategies close to you so that you make it a priority. And then ultimately your uh, physical recovery will benefit from that as well. That's excellent. Such an important reminder. So I also (laughs) wanted to ask you about something I mentioned at the beginning, the one post that I had seen, well, I'd seen a number of your posts, but this one like really stuck out to me. You talked about the difference between adaptation and habituation. Can you explain that to our audience today? For sure. So I think the most simple way of kind of distinguishing adaptation exercises um, versus habituation exercises in vestibular rehab is to think of adaptation exercises as teaching you and your vestibular system how to respond differently to an input. Whereas with habituation exercises, you're teaching your brain how to not respond to your symptoms. So with habituation exercises, you're you're repeating your exposure to a stimulus that is provocative and that is negative to you. So it's causing you dizziness. So maybe that's head movements. And so the goal is for you to continue to repeat the motion until your brain almost kind of ignores that sensation of dizziness. And then um, your dizziness will gradually reduce and, you know, vanish over time. That's kind of like when you're sitting on an uncomfortable chair, right? When you first sit on on an uncomfortable chair, you feel the surface and you're like, oh, I don't like it. But then after sitting on it for a while, you kind of ignore that feeling of your bum on the surface. So that's what the habituation exercises do, is that you're learning to tolerate the dizziness of a specific movement. But with adaptation exercises, that is more specific to to you moving your head while focusing on a target. So that's more commonly known as gaze stability exercises. 
And so the goal with this is that you have to focus on a target while performing head movements. And it's really important that the target stays in focus because that's the signal that you're sending to the brain that you are trying to maintain that um, motion of that visual image on your eyes with head movement. And that's what adaptation is. So it's really important then with these types of exercises that they have to be prescribed very specifically to the individual and their and their issues. So you know we're you know I'm finding the specific movement that that um, that causes that slip in their eye from not being able to maintain focus on the target. Um, I'm starting with very small amounts of movement and I'm gradually progressing it over time. So then the idea is then we're increasing the vestibular weighing of the, um, of the vestibular system so that they can reduce their reliance on their vision and their proprioception like we talked about before. Um, and so it's, it's, more specific uh, when it comes to adaptation exercises and that's what's that's what really helps with vestibular recovery and then I do find then that if there's any residual dizziness that the patient experiences that is more like more non-specific um, but maybe it's perhaps like just general like head movements or lying down sitting up or turning then I will incorporate habituation exercises afterwards but it's really important that the primary goal should be adaptation so that the vestibular system can really um, adapt to that loss in signal. Thank you for explaining that I think it's so important I had done some vestibular therapy years ago and I felt like it, it didn't work. I felt worse and they were just having me constantly do the same things over and over again that just kept making me feel more dizzy and more off and I couldn't even get through the therapy appointments. Then I would come home and I would feel awful for the next like day and a half, two days and then I'd have to go back and it just repeated a cycle of making me feel worse that I stopped. And it wasn't until for me personally, my journey, I found a functional neurologist that was able to do some of these adaptation exercises and prescribed like, oh, you're just going to turn your head to the right. You're not just going to turn your head all these ways because you have this specific thing. And for the first time, I, I personally found help. And so when I hear people either write in my support group online or tell me that they've been in vestibular therapy for three, four or five years because they're not getting better. I, I, I often wonder if maybe it's this difference between habituation and adaptation where if you're constantly doing exercises that are just triggering your symptoms, it can you weigh in on that? I mean, I'm not an expert, but doing vestibular yeah. therapy for years and years on end, is that something that should be happening or? Yeah, you're totally right. Is that the difference is that with adaptation exercises, you're constantly progressing the exercises to meet the demands of the patient's daily life. So the idea is that if whether you're um, progressing the amount of movement, the direction of movement, the environment that you're doing the exercise in, it should get to a point where real life then becomes easy. That's kind of my, my motto is that you do vestibular rehab until real life becomes easy. But if you're feeling like you're having to constantly do it 
in order and you're constantly doing and your symptoms aren't getting better, then there's got to be some other part of the puzzle that hasn't been looked at yet. And then that's where perhaps you have to look maybe outside of the vestibular system to see maybe it's the visual system, maybe it's the proprioceptive system that could be um, still impeding the recovery. But with vestibular rehab, if it's properly prescribed to that individual and their circumstances, and it's constantly progressed, then it should eventually stop, right? So when I hear of patients who have been to other um, therapies where they said that they were only given a six-week treatment um, block, and then that's all they they got and then they were left to their own devices to do their own exercises then i wonder you know you're perhaps you're not getting better because you you needed more than the six-week block right and you needed to continue to be pushed until you were able to accomplish your daily activities so i totally agree with that sentiment thank you for explaining that and So our last question about vestibular system is how do you maintain recovery and avoid decompensation? So you mentioned earlier that your vestibular system needs to be like more stimulated. Uh, So how do you, if somebody's been improving their vestibular rehab and improving their recovery, how do they maintain that long term? Definitely. So 100% staying active is very important because just by staying active, you're naturally moving your head and your body in a variety of ways that maintains vestibular function. But I think it's important to be, you know, mindful and just to be aware that decompensation can happen. And, you know, I always give that as like a disclaimer when I first start working with a patient, because I don't want them to be alarmed that, you know, when, um, you know, months or years down in their recovery, they experience a setback. They think like, oh, am I back to square one again? And that's not the case. Um, you know, after um, a period of time, decompensation can happen for a variety of reasons, whether, you know, perhaps you become ill or you experience a moment of stress or poor sleep or, you know, you get injured again and you're in bed rest, then you can certainly experience decompensation. But I find that the recovery after decompensation is much quicker because it's almost like your vestibular system was primed already and it knows what it needs to do. So then you just have to, you know, go back to your therapist, determine what movements or activities are provoking your symptoms, and then to just reintroduce those exercises again, and again, to gradually progress them um, until we can fine tune your vestibular system. And so I think, again, if you are aware of potential triggers for decompensation, then if something were to happen, you know exactly what to do when it comes so that you're not you know, stressed out when it happens again, or it could be that you can modify certain factors to prevent decompensation, right? So if you know that stress is a major factor, then doing the best that you can to help to uh, manage your daily stress will reduce the likelihood of decompensation or maintaining, you know, activity levels or making sure that you can sleep well. Of course, we can't avoid everything and we can't, we're not immune to everything. So something's going to happen, but being aware is, you know, the first step. That's great. So what are some final words of hope or encouragement you will have for our listeners? This is Hope Survives podcast. So at the end, I always love to ask, 
what is some hope that you want to give to everyone listening today? Of course. So I think, you know, my main mission, and especially with my Instagram page, was for you, for everyone to know that it isn't all in your head, right? That's the thing with vestibular issues is that it's something that the person feels, but others around them can't see. And so um, I think that with that, um, that invisible nature of uh, vestibular issues can be very um, disorienting and very um, discouraging sometimes, you know, maybe even your own family and friends don't understand it on top of, you know, certain specialists or other therapists may not understand it. It can be very frustrating and it can feel like you're, you know, traveling on this journey alone. So, you know, I just want everyone to know that it isn't all in your head and that there are many other individuals going through what you're going through and that there are treatments out there to help you with those issues. You just have to go out there and seek, you know, whether it's the online community so you can talk about what you're going through, you know, um, education and resources you know that's the beauty of the internet now you have access to all of this and podcasts like this right so you can learn more about what you're going through and and feel empowered to kind of take this journey to the next level and be able to advocate for yourself thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing information and hope for everyone i love that that it's not just on your head <laughs> that it's real. And if you're experiencing this, there is hope. There is recovery. Recovery is possible. It's treatable. You can figure this out. So for those of you listening, you're doing an amazing thing by learning, taking the time to listen. And that's the first step. And so Sonia, people can get in touch with you on your Instagram on your head PT. I will put that link in the description of the podcast. Are there other ways people can get in touch with you? Uh, so that's my, that's the best way. And then I have my website, which is soniavovanphysiotherapy.com. Perfect. And if anyone's up in Toronto area, make sure to check her out if you're looking for a vestibular therapist, because I know she'll definitely be able to help you. <laughs> So thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time and we will stay connected on Instagram. For sure. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hope Survives Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned as more episodes will be coming each week. And check out hopeafterheadinjury.com for more. I'll see you next time. And remember, there's always hope.